Jewish Latin Princess Episode 59, Norma Trush, Collaborative Family Lawyer and Mediator. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. Is there a non-adversarial approach to divorce? Can two people dissolving their marriage actually do it in a respectful way that takes into account their interests and protects their children from their parents' dispute and saves them a whole lot of money and time? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. And today I'm talking to my dear mother-in-law, Mrs. Norma Levine Trush. Why? Well, because she is one of the pioneers of collaborative law in the state of Texas and in this country. What is collaborative law? and why should people pursue it in lieu of litigation? Is it for every couple? Who's the perfect couple to go through this process? Why should collaborative law be a course that should be taught in every law school? What about the Jewish get? How does it play into the picture? If you want to know anything about collaborative law, either because you or someone you know might be undergoing divorce or because you're contemplating going to law school, Mrs. Trush is the person to talk to. She has been a collaborative lawyer since the turn of the century when the certification first came to Texas. And get this, she was already 63 years old and ready to retire from practicing law. Why was she burned out from law? And why does she say now that she's not planning on retiring ever? Norma was board certified in family law in 1983, became also a mediator a few years into her career as a lawyer and entered the field of collaborative law in the year 2000. She has been named Texas Super Lawyer by Texas Monthly Magazine many, many years consecutively and elected to the Best Lawyers in America in 2006. She's a recipient of the Dan R. Price Award for Outstanding Contributions to Family Law and the Gay G. Cox Collaborative Law Award and most recently in 2018 received a Lifetime Achievement Award for her work in mediation and collaborative law by the Association for Conflict Resolution. This is certainly a topic that I knew nothing about before I came into the Trush family, even though my own mother is an attorney as well, and I grew up kind of surrounded by lawyers, and I think we all need to learn about it. Here's the lovely Norma Trush. My dear Norma Trush, my dear mother-in-law, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. How are you? I'm fine. How nice to be here. What, what am I supposed to call you? You're Bubby to me. I've never called you Schwiger, um, but um, I feel very weird calling you Mrs. Trush, so I'm going to do Norma. How's that? I'd appreciate that. And the Bubby might slip in there just because, you know, that's that's who you are in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, Norma, I'm so excited to have you here because this is um, not such a pleasant topic to talk about, but it's part of reality, divorce. And if we're going to talk about divorce, you're the person to talk to divorce about because you're one of the people in the world who makes this 
process um, as positive as it can get, I would say, right? I hope so. Yeah, you are a leader in bringing collaborative divorce to Texas. So why don't we start with defining what that means exactly? Because it's kind of still a very new topic. All right, collaborative law is a process. And in that process, the parties, the couple who are getting divorced and their attorneys sign an agreement that they will not go to court to uh, resolve their differences, that they will work together with the attorneys and sometimes with mental health professionals and financial professionals who are neutrals to help them resolve their differences uh, without going to court and in a non-adversarial way. So what are, there's, there's, there's definite benefits to this. What are some of the benefits to for go- of going that route? Well, first of all, there is privacy. Mm. Uh, all of the meetings are held in the offices of the attorneys or the other professionals. So you're not airing your differences in court, which is a public place. So that's certainly an advantage. The most important advantage, as far as I'm concerned, is the children are kept off the playing field. If information is needed to help the parties understand their children's needs, then neutral people are hired to educate them, but not to represent them in an adversarial way. Uh, So that's two ways. The other is scheduling. The meetings are held at everybody's convenience. If you're in litigation and uh, something is said in court, you can sit in court all day waiting to be heard. Uh, All that time, your attorney is having to be paid for his or her time. Whereas in collaborative, we don't waste the party's time or their money. Hmm. So and aside from that, there's a financial benefit also to going through this process rather than litigation, correct? Oh, absolutely. Litigation can be outrageously expensive. Uh, whereas in collaborative, the decisions about how to spend money in the course of settlement are made by the parties, uh, not by the attorneys, not by a court. Uh, so they can limit the expenses based on what they can afford. Hmm. So I understand that you were an experienced litigator before you move to collaborative law. And by the way, I need to brag a little bit about you because you just won a Lifetime Achievement Award for your work in mediation and collaborative law. So mazel tov, that's huge. Thank you. So you were a litigator before and you were one of the first to train in this area of collaborative law. So take us back to those early days and why you made that decision for something that was very, very new at the time. Well, around the turn of the century, uh, I was was seriously contemplating the idea of retiring. Um, I was going to be 63 at the time, and I thought in another couple years, I'll quit doing this because quite frankly, litigating for me uh, was depressing and exhausting. The courts very frequently asked me to represent children uh, when their parents were fighting over whatever issue involving them they wanted to fight about. And all I ever heard from my young clients was, please make my parents stop fighting. Uh, And I really uh, felt somewhat helpless because I wasn't in charge of how things went. There were two attorneys who were directing the litigation 
investigation. I was just there to, as much as I could, protect the children. But quite frankly, I was burning out. And about that time, uh, I heard about collaborative law uh, and I heard about a training that was going to be held for it in Dallas. Mm -hmm. So I went to the training uh, and I had that aha moment you get when you hear that that's something I've been looking for my whole professional life. Uh, And quite frankly, I don't think I'll ever retire. Uh, It is such a pleasure to work in an area where I feel I'm doing a real service to my clients and especially to their children. Hmm. So, but you mentioned that um, there were two litigators. So, so what was your role? You were representing, you were a mediator. What was your role at that point when you were already trying to get, I mean, starting to burn out? Okay, well, an ad litem or an amicus is appointed by courts to represent the children. I see. Uh, to make sure that the children's needs are brought to the court's attention along with what the parents are bringing to their attention, which is their needs or their anger or their accusations. So my job as much as possible was to protect the children uh, and keep them away from the litigation as much as possible. But oftentimes I couldn't even do that because under Texas law, a child over the age of 12 can actually be called as a witness in the parent's divorce if one uh, or both of the attorneys want to do so. So I did have uh, one or two cases where I actually had my young clients sitting on the witness stand being asked questions about their parents while their parents sat there watching. Oh, gosh. Just awful. Oh, that sounds horrific. That sounds really, really, just really awful. Um, Is this... Has this become more mainstream? I mean, what? I mean, it seems like it, there are so many benefits, like the ones you listed before. Um, from an emotional standpoint, it seems like it is the better route. Um, yet we still see divorce as something that is just, you know, cutthroat and hurtful for so many. Like, is how mainstream is this? How 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 advanced has this become in becoming more popular? Okay, from a global uh, approach, let me just say that the idea was started by a gentleman in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in 1990. Okay. And now it's 2018, uh, and this movement, and I call it a movement uh, for collaborative law, is in 26 countries. Oh, wow. So globally, it is spreading like wildfire. Here in Texas, it, it's grown slowly but steadily, uh, and more and more attorneys are getting trained because you really have to be trained to do collaborative law. It's very different from what they taught us in law school because basically, at least when I went to law school, we were all trained to be litigators. Um, Now I do know there are law schools who are teaching mediation and I personally uh, do collaborative law trainings at a local law school here. Mm -hmm. It is catching on. In the beginning, I had to explain it to every client who came through the door and now I have clients who walk in asking for collaborative law. So it certainly is catching on, but not as quickly as I'd like it to. I'd like every client 
uh, to think about collaborative first before they opt for litigation. So so you mentioned 26 countries. Do you think the United States is still, um, and you mentioned Texas, but what about other states in the United States? I mean, are we moving as fast as you would like nationally? We are in every state. Oh, we good. are Canada. We're in South America. We're in Asia. We're in Australia. We're in Africa, all of Europe. We're in Israel. Um, we're all over the world. It's, it's almost like collaborative lawyers are, are trained to be peacemakers, which is kind of the opposite of, you know, what traditional law school is about, <laughs> I guess. Well, in a way, we're supposed to be peacemakers even um, when we're litigating. Okay. Unfortunately, I think the culture, especially among some younger lawyers, look, you make more money on a on an individual case when you litigate and i'm afraid some people go into the law because it can be a lucrative profession mm -hmm. uh, so there are a lot of people out there who are described by the public as sharks who uh, to me are fomenting uh, the adversarial approach rather than looking for settlement now i'm proud to say that most family lawyers are different Not all of them, but most family lawyers really do approach things with the idea of helping people reach agreements. Nice. Now, we mentioned the clients. So, and, and now you have the joy of having many clients who come to you already knowing that this is an option. Um, who's the quote-unquote perfect client who who should be considering this i mean it's, i i don't know is it for everybody like who is a client that really should definitely be exploring this option that's an interesting question when i first started i was looking for the perfect couple the couple who you know had been in therapy trying to save their marriage for a couple of years had decided that they needed to divorce, but wanted to do it in a way that would protect their children. Uh, and so I, I, you know, I sort of cherry picked who I told it about it. But slowly but surely, when the word got around, I started having clients come in asking for collaborative law uh, that didn't fit that profile. Some of them had been in abusive relationships. Uh, in some cases, there had been adultery. Uh, or years and years of alienation or problems with in-laws. And what I discovered is that the collaborative process works even with the most difficult cases if both of the parties have made up their mind that they want to try to do things peacefully despite everything. Hmm. So I have, I have settled almost every case that has come to me collaboratively. Uh, and a couple that didn't settle, didn't settle because somebody did not want to play by the collaborative rules, uh, which basically require you to be honest uh, about everything, about your property, about your goals and your interests and what you care about. And so if clients are willing to follow the collaborative rules, just about any couple can. Now, I do make exceptions. If there's, well, if there's active um, cocaine use, substance abuse, especially um, with the hard drugs, make it almost impossible to reach settlement because the people 
uh, quite frankly, especially with cocaine use, I don't think are capable of being honest or consistent in working on their uh, divorce. Um, and, and I think if there's extremely serious physical abuse, uh, where there's a danger for the client uh, to be anywhere in the building with the other client. Now, I, I do know there's uh, a group of attorneys in Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada, that routinely do collaborative law uh, with uh, serious physical abuse. They have some mental health special, specialists there who specialize in uh, physical abuse in the marriage who are able to control the situation. I certainly would not do an abuse case without a mental health professional in the room. Hmm. Wow. It's it's complicated stuff. But but so so you mentioned that the both of them have to be in agreement. They have to be mentally ready to do this. Is this something that they come to terms on their own or they walk into your office and 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 you help them come to that conclusion that they really have to agree to not be adversarial? Well, uh, in, in most of my cases, someone might come to my office who doesn't know about collaborative law. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, there are a lot who do. But if they come in, I explain to them all of their options. Uh, there are couples, for instance, who can sit down at the kitchen table and settle everything. And all I have to do is the paperwork. Other couples can go to early intervention mediation, come to a settlement, come back to me, and I do the paperwork. But if that's not possible for the couple, and I explain to them the other two options, collaborative and litigation, and they really like collaborative and want to do it, then they've got to persuade their spouse if they haven't uh, discussed it with them. So I give them material, uh, I send them to websites, and I urge them, uh, I give them names of collaboratively uh, trained attorneys who their spouse might hire, And then I cross my fingers and hope uh, that there's going to be a collaborative case coming. Hmm. Very nice. So you are on the side of, you know, making sure this divorce happens in the most civilized way. But I know that you've seen many couples walk into your office um, and you've seen some who walk out of your office willing to reconcile and give up the idea of divorce. Um, talk to me a little bit about those success stories, those couples that don't end up getting the divorce that they thought they were going to get. Is there something that stands out as different about them? Or when do you know there's still room for working things out? You know, I, I'm, it's hard to put your finger on, uh, but I have seen it happen enough times to know that if the attorneys are careful, they don't push the clients, let's get this done, uh, you know, keep pushing them to work on the divorce and step back and let them do things at their own pace, that if there's hope, uh, it can happen. There have been several cases I've had where the other attorney and I, when we meet afterwards, agree that this couple really shouldn't be getting divorced. Mm. And both of us have urged our clients to try marital counseling. Uh, And that's worked in several cases. So I think a lot of it has to do uh, with uh, sort of leaving things 
percolate when they need to. We never can predict when that's going to happen, but it does. Very nice. So, so I'm going to step back in time a little bit again. So you went to law school later on in life. You didn't, that wasn't your career in your young adulthood, right? That's correct. And you you went straight for family law or what, like what, what brought you to even consider law? Uh That's an interesting question. Um, Well, the first thing I wanted to do was go to medical school. Oh, I didn't Uh, know that. (laughs) I was, I must have been in my mid-30s, and so I contacted some local medical schools, and they informed me that I was too old. They don't do that anymore, but back then, they could tell you that the state was going to spend so much money educating you, and since they assumed you were going to retire at 65, that they wanted more years out of you than you would uh, be able to give to the profession if you started too late. So then I thought, well, what else could I do? And I remembered an old friend of mine who was a lawyer who told me, you know, you really should be a lawyer. So I investigated law school. um, And I had actually gone to work very briefly for a lawyer friend of mine, uh, straightening out his law library and discovered that I really was interested in what he was doing. So the old advice came into my head and what I was seeing at my friend's office. And I thought, well, I think I'll do that. So mm-hmm. I started law school and uh, went through in less than three years and graduated a few months short of my 40th birthday. Wow. And it was straight into family law in particular? No. Uh, one thing I knew going uh, through law school, two things, that I didn't want to work for anybody else ever again. So I wanted my own office. And number two, I certainly didn't want want to do divorce because that sounded <laughs> depressing. When I, when I opened my own office, what came through the door way back then was women looking for someone to represent them in a divorce. And since I had to pay the rent, I took the cases and what I discovered was something I really didn't know about myself was that I had an ability to calm people down, which is a very useful talent if you're going to be a family lawyer. Uh Plus, I found that I could really be useful to people doing family law. And if I was careful enough, I could do what I was doing and protect children. And so all of that sort of appealed to my own values. And I became a family lawyer as quickly as I could. Hmm. And then you trained later on as a mediator. Does that require separate training, right? Yes, it does. I took mediation training when it first came to Texas. uh, And I have been mediating on and off over the years. Very cool. So back to back to the current, um, I guess, university curriculum is 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 collaborative law going to do you foresee it becoming standard a required um, courses that students in law school need to be taking? I'm hoping so. I think it might take as much as 10 years. But law school education is really evolving. When I went to school, there were no courses in mediation. There were no courses really in negotiation and certainly not in collaborative law. And slowly but surely, uh, it's happening all over this country. I don't know about other countries, but certainly here, I'm seeing it spring up in one law school after another. So I'm very optimistic. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it sounds like, you know, this conversation reminds me, I've had several conversations with women on the podcast um, from Wendy Sachs, who wrote uh, Fearless and Free, and Erica Keswin, who uh, works, she founded the Spaghetti Project, and she tries to bring the human back to work, and Barbara Stanny, who wrote Sacred Success, and she talks about all of these women talk about this idea similar to your work where this I guess this more feminine approach to doing things a more feminine energy where principles of collaboration of dialogue are becoming much more popular and more valued in all areas in business corporate and now as we are discussing here today in the practice of law do you do you see this trend I mean you've had a lifetime you know career seeing and you've worked with male peers as well for many years well when i graduated from my law school uh women were about 10 percent of the student body today they're over 50 percent in law schools and i have seen over my practice a huge change in family law as it as more and more women moved into that practice and the change I've seen has to do with uh, a more humane, uh, a more sensitive approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel, and, and in fact, I was just at a, a meeting of lawyers where uh, one of uh, the, uh, the, the real be- uh, old hands at family law received an award. And what he said was most interesting. He was talking about changes in family law. And he said he credited most of the changes to the fact that there were so many women in the profession and and that has made it so much more humane. And so not only is it happening, but some men are actually recognizing it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. Um, In the case, I didn't ask you yet about Jewish couples, but I, I, I guess, is it you know, what are, I guess, a Jewish couple and also needs to go through the process of obtaining a get. I'm assuming that going through a collaborative process also somehow facilitates this process, um, maybe because now their divorce is shorter. I mean, what are the, how do the two inter- interject? Well, if uh, I, even in the past, if I was working on an agreement for a Jewish couple, I would use the getting of a get or the giving of a get as part of the negotiation and would draft in my final agreements or in the court's order an agreement that the parties would, within 30 days after the divorce, uh, the husband would apply for a get and the woman would, of course, accept it. Wow, brilliant. I've been doing that for a long time. In collaborative law, of course, that would come up with any Jewish couple. The surprising thing to me, and in some ways the disappointing thing to me, is that some um, reformed Jewish couples don't care. Uh, and uh, in fact, tell me they're not interested. I can't force it on anyone, uh, but that has been a disappointment. But another change I have seen now that I'm working Uh, with more orthodox couples is many couples will do the Jewish divorce before the civil divorce. Mm. That's something that I did not experience earlier in my uh, career. So that's very heartening. 
Yeah. 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 And I, I, it's probably helpful because it's like almost like a spiritual, I don't know, like an emotional bond has been kind of, I don't know. I don't know how to put it in words, but I guess, I guess it makes sense to do it before. I don't know. It's interesting. Very, very interesting. Okay. Um, let's do some JLP fill in the blanks. And I think you know how this goes. Yes. No, don't. <laughs> you don't. Okay. So this is the part of the show where I tell you, I give you an open ended, ended sentence and you finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Oh, dear. This sounds dangerous. This sounds dangerous. Sounds a little challenging, but I think you're up for it. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm Norma Levine Trush, and I feel most spiritual when? When I'm walking in Muir Wood. Really? Yes. Yes. Muir Wood in California is one of the most spiritual places I've ever been in my life. There's something about the quality of the light that comes down through these very tall redwoods that always um, touches me and I feel closer to God. Wow, that's so beautiful. When was the last time you were there? About two years ago. Oh, okay. So fairly recent. Do you try to make it out there often? No, I don't get there very often, but whenever I'm in the San Francisco area, I try to fit in uh, a visit to Mirror Wood. I will have to go check it out. Maybe we should go together. <laughs> that would be lovely. <laughs> My favorite mitzvah or one I feel most connected with is? Hmm. My favorite mitzvah. Oh, dear me. I guess... Helping a couple finish their divorce and watching them walk out hand in hand discussing their children. Wow. Wow, that's really powerful. Peacemaking. It's really an art and not, not, it's really a God given gift. Obviously, not too many are gifted with this ability that you've been granted. So it's really amazing to hear it. Um, by the way, I didn't ask you about challenging couples. You know, what, what has been, we talked about success stories that you've seen, but anything that stands out as, oh, whoa, this was such a huge challenge? Well, the most challenging case I had was a case where I took the case believing that the husband um, had been to rehab and was no longer uh, addicted to alcohol or cocaine. Oh. And in the course of 17 months, uh, he lapsed about five times. We always knew he had lapsed when he'd disappear. Uh, his wife, who was my client, would say to me, oh, he's gone back to rehab. So it was a stop and start, stop and start for 17 months. Uh, thank goodness his attorney uh, had had her first training as a mental health professional. And she somehow was able to help him get to the finish line. And it was very difficult for everyone, for him, for his wife, and definitely for the professionals working in the case. And we had a mental health professional working with us. Uh, so it was difficult all around. Wow, that's very difficult for the wife. That's really, that's really, um, that's really incredible. Is there a pattern, by the way, like, like, you've seen it all, like, 
things that just these are the grounds for divorce and you kind of like see it over and over and over a certain issue or it's or it's just totally varied it really varies but i think the reason collaborative has as many reconciliations as it has is the primary breakdown between the people seems to be communication oh they talking to each other and more importantly they stop listening to each other and one of the things we emphasize in collaborative is you must listen to what your spouse is saying in order to understand what their real values are what their real goals and interests are so that when we start discussing settlement whatever settlement we come up with has to respect both of the parties values goals and interests Wow, but that's hard because if they haven't been listening or communicating properly for the last, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 years, <laughs> they got to start now. <laughs> well, but if they learn how to do that, sometimes they realize that their problems aren't insoluble, which is why I really think the collaborative, if there's hope for a couple and the couple is willing to do what their attorneys teach them to do, I think there can be hope for reconciliation. Hmm. There you go. Another benefit. You might end up saving your marriage. <laughs> All right. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? Oh, oh my heavens. I guess it was going to Moshe's uh, uh, bris in, in uh, Jerusalem. Um, and seeing my son and my husband holding that baby between them mm. and, and being so touched. Yeah, that was very special. I had a feeling it would, it would have to do with one of my children. Of <laughs> something I wished I had learned about Judaism growing up is? Oh, something I wish I had learned when I was growing up. I guess how important it would end up being in my life. Hmm, that's a neat one. I never heard that one. That's beautiful. That is very beautiful. It's true. We don't, we don't I guess we don't realize. Not when you're young, you never really think about it. Right, uh, right. Was marrying Jewish always a, a thing like just that you were going to do, for example? Or was it not even that important in that sense? It was presumed. Aha. Uh -huh. So it was something you were going to do. You were going to marry Jewish. Well, that's, that's what I was brought up with. That mm -hmm. was familiar. That's what I wanted in my life. Right, right. By the way, do you think this is totally not off the cuff, but do you think it, um, since you're in the field of marriage and divorce, do you think there is an added benefit to aside from we could go on on the spiritual side but really on a practical level from of marrying somebody of your own faith that's a good question because i have seen so many divorces among people of the same faith <laughs> that that's sad. i'm not sure uh that even when the people shared a real um commitment to their faith when they were very very um into being true to their faith to following the tenets of their faith. Uh, but I've had uh, divorces among Christian couples who had Bible readings in their home all through their marriage. Mm -hmm. So their commitment was, you know, equal. So I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. On the other hand, 
I've seen a lot of divorces that turned on uh, differences in faith. So, uh, and usually one party wanted to be more uh, religious and more strict about their observance than the other. And that I have seen as a, a real problem, um, a dispute over the level of observance. Interesting, interesting. When I give tzedakah, charity, I like to give too. Uh, oh dear, I have so many charities I care about. Um, I, I guess it would probably be the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. Mm. I'm uh, a typical lawyer, I guess. I really care about the Constitution. Uh, and that's been something uh, that's consistent with me over my life. I always give to Israel. I always give to uh, uh, any number of Jewish causes, but I always give to the ACLU. Very nice. And finally, I'm Norma Levine Trush, and today I'm most grateful for the fact that my son found such a wonderful woman <laughs> to marry. You're not allowed to say this. This is embarrassing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're very sweet. <laughs> You are amazing. And I'm so glad that we had this conversation. I think it's so helpful for, for people to know that this is an option. And for people who might be thinking of law school to also know that, listen, there's this non-traditional route that you could actually be helping people in a really meaningful way. And um, it's really amazing. And I so appreciate it. If if people need to learn more about collaborative law, what, what resources would you recommend? Oh, there are a lot of them. If they live in Texas, uh, the best source is on the internet, uh, collaborativedivorcetexas.com. Mm-hmm. They live in other states, uh, collaborativepractice.com is the website for the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals. And then just go on the internet and look up collaborative divorce or collaborative law. Uh, there's a lot of sites out there where you can learn a lot about the process. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, good. I'm glad that we've we've had this conversation. I think it's an important one to to have. And again, if it, you know these things are part of reality, so if we it's part of reality, let's try to make it as productive and positive as we can. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you too. All right. Thanks so much for being here. Bye bye, y'all. Thanks to Norma Trush for stopping by. To learn more about collaborative law, you can visit her website, normatrush.com. I hope everyone is enjoying Memorial Day. I certainly will, although I admit with my traveling to New York and jumping into a three-day holiday, Shavuot, another short week was not exactly what I wanted because I have a lot of work to catch up on. But here we are. We will be going swimming with the children, which is always fun. If you haven't jumped into my newsletter, um, you might be missing out on some great information there, blog posts, giveaways, winners of giveaways. So head over to jewishlatinprincess.com and hit the subscribe button. Oh, and guess what? I just saw we actually surpassed the 15,000 download mark recently on the podcast. I don't know how I missed that. I knew we were approaching it, but somehow with everything that was going on, I forgot to keep checking until today. I just saw that we are well over 15,000 downloads. I should have thrown a party. Well, maybe the last two giveaways on jewishlatinprincess.com were the party, I guess. 
guess. Although I have another giveaway coming up, so there you go. Stay tuned for that. As always, thank you for being here. And FYI, I'm taking speaking engagements for the fall now. So if you know of a community who would love to have me, you know where to find me. Lots of great interviews coming up, including the field of art as well as a fashion. So stay tuned for that. Have a great Memorial Day and a great rest of your week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.